This is the Flannery Podcast. Welcome to our 12th episode. This is Trump, an American tragedy. Stay tuned. Often you hear people quoting Benjamin Franklin saying, you have a republic if you can keep it. But his challenge was much more disappointing than that. He anticipated that at some time or other, we would be subject to a despot. And we are. And this is what he said then. And then let's discuss how we can improve upon that situation. It can only end in despotism as other forms have done before. When the people shall become so corrupted as to need a despotic government being incapable, incapable of any other. We can't hold on to liberty without fighting for it. That should be the lesson of the last several years with Mr. Trump and the West Wing. And so I think we should go through some basic principles about how we got here, how our system of government is not just capitalism. It's much more complicated than that. It is to promote the general welfare. And I think we should talk about the first principles about how Trump, who comes from that business class, who comes from those plutocrats, from those robber barons, and what that has done to compromise the promise of America. Stay tuned. We can't address the challenge to America if we don't know how we got here. And how we got here is, remember when Trump said he was going to take back our country? He didn't mean for us, for you and I. He meant for the robber barons, for the greedy business interests that wanted to take for themselves at the expense of the workers that made their fortunes possible in the first place. Trump, therefore, fights for no regulation, not on the pollutants that are spilled, not on the air that is compromised, not the age of those who may work, not the hours that make sense for sensible work, not a minimum wage, not benefits for anyone, health or otherwise, not for the safety of the places where they work, not for the ability of workers to organize, not for the safety of the food that we eat that comes from the places that make these foods and give us these services and products. What we have is a corrupt business structure, and we've had it for a long time, and sometimes it's more obvious than others, and now it screams at us that the balance is out of balance, that we are not any longer free in a group of people working together. These combinations of these behemoths are to force out smaller businesses and to put us in a position as workers, whether wage or salary or contract workers, in a position of subservience, making it difficult for us to do anything but work. We may think of the names in the past of Vanderbilt, Carnegie, Rockefeller, Jay Gould, as the original barons, but we have a whole new set today, and Trump stands at the pinnacle of these people, whether he has $86 million or $25 billion, whatever he is worth, he is first and foremost 
one of these plutocrats, one of these people who would take advantage of us for a dime, one of these people who lies to get what he wants at all times and all circumstances, every day of his life, every day he's been president, and nothing seems to stop him from doing that. Neither the plutocrats nor he have any shame at all. Trump passed a tax bill that was a honeypot for his favorite plutocrats, those on Wall Street, and a small offering to those on Main Street. And he cut the deductions invoked that will be invoked by the middle class and by the poor in their taxes. So talk about a reverse Robin Hood. We have that in big letters spread before us. And there's the stimulus bill, another present to Wall Street, again at the expense of Main Street. Some may think these monies went to keep paying workers, but no, not at all. There have been reports in the newspapers about what did they do? They gave it to their shareholders. They bought back their stock. Well, some say, yes, you have to take care of the shareholders. Since when? Why is that the government's interest? These are the very people that rail against regulation except when it favors them. They want big handouts to them to the exclusion of all others. Greed. Greed and pain and antipathy toward anything that is human or is in the national interest. Our Constitution says we're supposed to promote the general interest. Well, they only want to promote the private in interest. Not any of it is for the workers. If you are middle class, don't count on that refund. It's as elusive as the smile of a Cheshire cat. Finally, there's an effort to compromise things at the base of our American safety net. Social Security for the aged, Medicare so that you are taken care of in some minimum way, Medicaid for those who can't afford to be taken care of with health benefits, unemployment compensation. They are against all of these things. When Trump was a candidate, he said he was not like any other Republican. No, he certainly wasn't. He lied in a way that none of them could. None of them even seemed uh, to think to do what he did. He was going to protect our Social Security, our Medicare, our Medicaid. He was going to not mess with something that works. Listen to what he said during the campaign. Save Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security without cuts. Have to do it. Get rid of the fraud, get rid of the waste and abuse, but save it. People have been paying in for years, and now many of these candidates want to cut it. That's what he said then. But when he wrote the 2018 budget, the charade, the charade was over. That's when he revealed what he wanted to do. He cut these programs. He proposed to cut these programs dramatically, which was always his scheme. This guy is a criminal of the worst type possible. And that's why he is the American tragedy. There's a flaw or defect that defines in classic theater what is a tragedy, some fatal flaw. What is ours? Our openness our belief, our gullibility that this man would actually be telling us the truth when through his life he has hardly ever told the truth in any circumstance. This failed casino uh, owner, this uh, reality TV showman, this person who runs down everyone who has the demeanor of a low life in every day of his life, in every circumstance. And if you disagree with him, he attacks you. And he makes it up. He lies about it. He drives people out of his cabinet who disagree with him every single day. But well, let's go back to the 2018 budget. You want to know exactly what he did? Well, why not quote Sanders in his campaign? Because he, among others, really laid it out when he said what 
Trump was doing despite his campaign promises. Listen to this. Trump campaigned in Nevada and all over this country. He talked about being a different type of Republican, a friend of working families. And I will be your champion. I am your voice. Trump lied. And that's... Fast forward to the budget that Trump introduced. That budget calls for a cut of one and a half trillion dollars in Medicaid, 845 billion dollars in cuts to Medicare, and 25 billion dollars in cuts to Social Security. Trump treated the American voters as if they were a bunch of rubes. We've had populists in American history who've come close to this, who've come close to seizing power. Huey Long comes to mind, of course. He talked about this all the time. You know, this is a nation, you have to remember, in our short history, as compared to civilizations in other nation states, we had fractional persons, and that, but they weren't persons. They didn't have any rights. We only wanted to be able to count them for the allocated power of individual colonies become states, three-fifths of a human. Women didn't exist in our Constitution, not until and after we had freed slaves. T today, we don't treat many of our citizens as a whole or equal being, although we don't have it written in our Constitution and it's not written in our laws. But discrimination is rife if you're a person of color, if you're a woman, if you come from certain socioeconomic backgrounds, if you have certain beliefs. So much for one from many, e pluribus unum. We have to get our act together. And because we don't have our act together, we were an easy target for Mr. Trump and his cronies and those people who don't believe in the idea of America, who are like people with a credit card that they can't spend quickly enough and don't care about the future. That's what they're doing to this country. They are plundering our nation, not just its funds, but also its spirit and morale and its promise to the world. Of course, the robber barons are more equal. They're not fractional. They're multiples, a high multiple in wealth over the income of the middle and income and lower classes. The robber barons of old squeeze the working man and woman, determine where they live, what they eat, what medical care, if any, they'd get or didn't, whether their children were educated or not often. And they fought the unions who sought to organize so that they could get better working conditions. And they are today. All of these things are still in place. And people defer to these crooks who would steal our rights and liberties and who would define America only by capitalism and not by any of the human considerations that resulted in our Constitution that said, among other things, to promote the general welfare. They have controlled the economy and Trump is there helping them do it again. Don't ever listen to what Trump says. See what he does. See what he does to you. See what he does to this nation. See how he thumbs his nose at every other nation on the planet except certain dictators. To be continued, stay tuned. Let's talk a little bit about the working poor 
the wage slaves and the salary slaves. Robert Penn Warren again had a great quote, and it applies to Trump and it applies to all these businessmen who take advantage of the pandemic and every other tragedy of life for their economic advantage. Robert Penn Warren said, man is conceived in sin and born in corruption. If there was ever a description that fit these people, that's it. There's a guy, Eric Hoffer, he was a stevedore in the docks in the railroad yards, but he was a plain talker and he wrote about the true believers, how people get involved in, in movements. How, in other words, how could someone support these people to their own personal disadvantage to risk their health, if you will, and, and risk even death? And so what does it take to make a mass movement? He spoke of the art of turning potential and practical purposes into holy causes. And we see that. We see that there's like a, a religious devotion that no, no reason at all, all this faith, and in the most worthless kinds of people. And this discontent feeds this rebellion. As recently as several days ago, we had in Michigan a man threatening to kill the governor of the state and people turning out with, with firearms and large weapons and dressed in camouflage and so forth. And luckily, this person expressed this online and he's been charged. But we are too reluctant to resist this kind of lawlessness, this kind of terrorism in our nation. We talk about it, but we've let it escape us. Why isn't a person standing in a group with a gun not already charged with assault? Because he's there to put us in apprehension of our own safety and of our lives. Why? So he can do whatever he wants to do. And that's how it's been used. And that's not acceptable because that gets out of hand. And it may yet get out of hand. The hopeful can draw strength from the most ridiculous sources of power, a slogan, a word, a button. That's, that's what we're dealing with here. That's what Eric Hoffer was talking about when he's talking about true believers. By this, by this kind of devotion, they fail to have access to some uh, form of sense. And instead, they're choosing this irresistible power. It has to do with how they self-define themselves. They, they, they must be wholly ignorant of the difficult things that are involved in these vast undertakings. Well, you know, currently in the pandemic, are we talking about people that don't want to hear medicine or science? They know better than that. They feel good right now until they're brought low. And we've had these people who have said, what is this epidemic? You know, what is this about? This is a hoax. And they die for it. They literally die for it. There was a pastor in the south part of Virginia. He went off to New Orleans and he said that it wasn't anything serious. And, and he got sick. His wife got sick. He died. They, these are high stakes for people that they pay for with their ignorance, with their devotion, wrong-headed devotion to Trump and his nonsense. Uh, Eric believed that these movements are made up of those who crave to be rid of an unwanted self. They don't have any self-worth. They fill this void inside of themselves be by becoming part of these movements, by uh, all banding together and reinforcing each other's stupid ideas and dangerous ideas to themselves, but also to us, particularly in this pandemic. Hitler said that the more posts of offices in a movement that you have to hand out, the more 
inferior stuff that we'll attract. And we have a man in the White House telling the nation on the one hand, oh, these are what you should do, although never so directly and criticizing anyone who reinforces it like Dr. Fauci. And then what does he do? He goes out and he challenges governors who dare to actually follow the medicine and the science. Faith in a holy cause, a substitute for the lost faith in themselves. That's what we have here. They are promised a future as the present escapes their grasp. Whatever their existence is today, whomever they think they are, however worthless, the future is going to cure it. The despair of an unemployment is not a fiction. The vast nothingness a person faces without realizing that it's been caused by the robber barons, it's been caused by Trump, it's been caused by the fact that they take more out of their productivity and leave less in earnings for those in the middle class and the poor. And so they don't have any savings, and so they don't have a way to confront a crisis like this pandemic. And so they have to do what they can to work to earn money at the risk of their health and their lives. So this movement, if you will, the robber barons and Trump prompts the unemployed to follow the peddlers of hope. Trump gives them hope, false hope, every day, multiple times, usually with lies and deceptions and attacks on people telling the truth, like those who know about infectious diseases. Work is available again, that's what he tells them, so they're told, go out and take it and seize it. He has meetings with executives and discourages them from wearing masks so he can implicitly and expressly say, look, they're not afraid, don't be afraid, go back to work. Even if you're working one foot away from the next person, if, even if there are multiple things you touch, even if you're not going to be tested, even if they don't even know what causes this virus, even though people are asymptomatic in the workplace, don't you worry, Trump says, it will be okay. And it won't be okay. It's already not okay. The pandemic hasn't gone away. We don't have a cure for it. We won't have a vaccine despite the president's lies for a year or more. And we don't know how that will work. This is not some turnkey operation. This is a high science to figure out vaccines to protect people from different viruses and in this pandemic particularly. America is open again, they tell us, but it's not. In the last several days, I've driven around my community I don't go out, I don't go talk to anybody. And what I've seen is the people are out there. Cars are out there regularly. People, parking lots are full at various stores and so forth. And we're not just talking about food. We're not talking about prescriptions. People are going to bars. People are doing the kind of things that will push this pandemic forward and make us all suffer. Make it last longer. Make it perhaps change in a way that no medicine man has ever seen before. These people feel, rightly, that unemployment is a degradation. They're not with a job. They are disinherited. They are victims of an unjust order. But they turn against the wrong people. They should be turning against Trump. They should be turning against the plutocrats, the robber barons, who have put them in this position and would have them persist so that they can get whatever bottom line they can get. And when they open the businesses, are the people going to be too stupid to go to buy the products and services at their own risk of ill health and death? We're going to know in the next week or so. It's not going to be a secret because it, we'll know it. Everybody will be within one or two persons of someone who got sick and maybe two or three persons of someone who died.
You know, it's a good thing when people can go to sleep on a full stomach. That's part of what the problem is for the unemployed. But the sleep of these people is without dreams. Many workers these days feel the virus is almost redressed when it's not even close. Here in Virginia, they say our peak is gonna be in June and people who are elected officials in the county where I live are saying, let's open the businesses now. It is foolish leadership like this, irresponsible. People like that should be removed from office. And that goes right to the top, right to Trump. And who knows what we're gonna suffer between now and November when we have our chance to vote against him and remove him from office. You know, the, the people who are going to work, they're not tested at work. If you take a temperature, that's not a test. That you can be asymptomatic. In fact, they found in the prison system, a lot of people, most of them who are tested are asymptomatic and have the virus already. Are people gonna wear masks? I go out, I don't see people with masks. They are not at a sufficient distance one from another. Maybe one foot in some cases. Is there a place to wash their hands? This is a dangerous situation and it's brought on by the robber barons right now who won't let us take the time, won't let the nation take the time to deal with the pandemic so we can move into a safe place. The infectious disease people have worked out standards for how you move from one place to another and how you should protect yourself. And they're all being disobeyed because people feel it. They feel it in the spring. <clears throat> they want to go out. They want to be what they were in this season when they can be, they think. Another terrible tragedy, the part of the American tragedy, is those who insist the children go back to school too soon. We are only now learning of variations that attack children in a very special and terrible way. And who's to say that when you get this illness, even if you survive it, it won't haunt you the rest of your life? Adults at risk at work, children at risk in school, and this is all pushed by the plutocrats, by the robber barons, headed by no less than Trump. But you know, Trump is a man who leaves children in cages. Trump is glad to have the children at school so their parents will go to work. They won't have to take care of the children. That's a diabolical scheme. But this is a man that is a sociopath. He has no feeling for people. He knows how to pretend to, to care. And he makes the argument so easily because there is no shame in his lies. Certainly when you purport to be pro-life and put workers and children at risk for illness and death, you must be some sort of hypocrite. You must be some sort of diabolical individual. But isn't that the history of, of dictators? That they don't care about the people. Look at them. And look at his friends. Erdogan is a friend of his. Putin is a friend of his. The head of China is a friend of his. You, you have to wonder about the kinds of comments you read online. I read a comment pushing back on a man who said, well, we'll see what happens. You know, leap into it. You're kind of the dumb man's hold my beer thing when he's going to do something silly as opposed to something dangerous. And this woman online responded, didn't you ever hear it was better to be safe than sorry? But that's responsible. You know, why not just take the risk? You know, I'll survive it. This kind of crazy uh, 
irrational thought process. The target for this scheme is the middle section of America. You know, because in brackets from 60,000 below, there, there's less savings. There's even negative savings in the 40,000 and 20,000 brackets living on that, imagine, without transfer payments, without help. And, you know, still there are Americans who are upset that you would give food to children, that you would give food to families. Why don't they earn it themselves somehow? The irony of the ignorance demonstrated and therefore how imperiled any opinion they have is by the fact that they don't know how to think. They have no reason. They just have impulses. There are some people who say, how, how can we bring the nation back together again? I, I don't believe we can. Not as long as this kind of thinking exists. And so we have to organize to force reason on the body politic, on the nation, if it's ever to survive. Because what Benjamin Franklin said is absolutely true. We have a growing number of people who are seizing upon this nonsense to make it our nation. We have uh, a statement by Eric Hoffer in which he describes how these folk can dissolve into the sadness or meaninglessness of their lives. But they can be redeemed by some soul-stirring, spectacular communal undertaking. Those are the rallies that Trump had when he was running for office. Those are the rallies he had almost as soon as he got into office, because he understood from other dictators, Hitler comes to mind, what a rally does, how it brings these people together. And accompany this with his Twitter assaults to his 60 or 70 million people. These are powerful avenues. And take the state TV of Fox. I've sat with people right after they've heard a broadcast at a dinner and wondered without having heard the broadcast how they all had the same idea and they repeated it at the table, little robots, little people mind controlled by people without minds or care, only interested in manipulation. These people are buying a ticket in the Trump lottery, despite the long odds. And the risk is bad health for a period of time that may sit with you the rest of your life, or even death. Many of our workers are the new wage slaves, kept there by denying them a share of the productivity they bring to the robber barons, the plutocrats, the ensemble that is Trump's bread and butter. They surrender their freedom to subsist, and they do it these days in an environment where they may die and where some will most certainly die. Eric Hoffer said, the frustrated, oppressed by their shortcomings, blame their failure on existing restraints. That's why you see the people on the street, don't tell me what I can't do. I would love to do things that put me at risk. They don't want the lockdown. They don't want to do what's sensible. They want to do what they want to do. Ever since 9-11, we've had this uh, movement in America, you know, the iPod, the iPad, everything's I, I, I. And to a point, of course, you should take care of yourself. You should be responsible. But it's worse than that. It is to affect others as well. I'll do whatever I want. I won't respect society. I won't respect reason. I won't do what makes sense. I won't obey the law. I won't obey the Constitution. And who do we have teaching America this? No less than the orange menace in the West Wing. These people rise egged on by the robber barons, 
their enemies, unexposed to them as their enemies, because Trump has weakened the regular order, and there's something to exploit. Stay tuned. Robert Penn Warren said, if you couldn't accept the past and its burden, there was no future. For without one, there cannot be the other. I have a colleague that I went to uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office with in the Southern District of New York, Richard Weisberg. And he's written a book that casts uh, a look going back to 1954 and to the present about the Republican Party in a tome, a book, 350 pages long, titled The Republican Party, Apostles of Failure, Unfit to Govern. Long title, but right to the point, because it does describe how we went from 1954 to today and how it's gotten worse for the Republican Party in terms of its leadership and its policies. So I'm, I'm very lucky to have Richard with me today, and so we're going to talk a little bit. Uh, if you could, Richard, give me an idea of what the book is about and what the scope of your review was about. The Republican Party has uh, successfully promoted an ideological remarket, anti-government, anti-tax failure. The goal of this uh, fantasy is to create a society in which the productive genius of the very wealthy is unconstrained by heavy taxation. Republicans' uh, legislative vision focuses on privatization, the elimination of government agencies, or neutering their programmatic impact through extensive uh, deregulation, while maintaining, uh, maintaining an obscenely preferential tax system favoring the wealthy Americans. The problem is, this agenda, whenever it's been uh, uh, implemented, has failed, and failed catastrophically. Uh, in 1929, it gave us the Great Recession, uh, and uh, it failed under Reagan, who had a past 10 increase increases. And it failed again under George W. Bush's massive tax cuts, favoring the wealthy coupled with a failure to regulate the financial uh, market resulted in massive deficits and culminated in the devastating recession of 2007. You, you, come, you, come, you come upon this, uh, you're a former uh, assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. You prosecuted, litigated quite a number of cases, including, I guess, in the cigarette industry. You were in private practice, public service, and I guess a lot of that was with the EPA, is that correct? Yes. Mother. If I remember right, it was hearing Frank Luntz uh, that sort of spurred you a little bit to be concerned about this large problem that you've just summarized. And what was it about hearing Frank Luntz, kind of an opinion maker? And Republican consultant. One night my, uh, my wife and I were on, uh, watching Frank. He was playing it straight that night. He was conducting a focus. He uh, articulated uh, 10 policies of the uh, George W. Bush administration and asked the focus group to go back. Uh, he asked them what they thought, and they said, uh, he asked them, well, we're not going to answer your question, because you gave us such uh, uh, absurd examples that we uh, don't feel uh, that we want to respond. These were 10 policies that Bush implemented, and these, this focus group had no idea what was going on. Now, you began your book with an interesting quote from Eisenhower, who wrote a letter to his brother Edgar in 1954, 
It reads, should any political party attempt to abolish Social Security, unemployment insurance, and eliminate labor and farm programs, you'd not hear from that party again in our political history. And he also wrote that at that time, in 1954, their number that is of these people is negligible and they are stupid. Now what happened between 1954 and now during the Trump regime? Our right of the Republican Party were able to take over the party starting in 1980. This, uh, as I said, they have an anti-government, anti-tax fantasy which they live in. And, and Reagan, when he took over, I mean his first words were, uh, the government is not the solution to the problem. Government is the problem, and he went on. When you know what the the famous, the, the worst, the most terrifying nine words uh, in American history is somebody who comes into your house and says, "I'm from the government. I'm here to help you," and they hammer away and hammer away on that, and, and they have been able to just literally take over the, the government party. Uh, excuse me, the Republican Party. And today, the Republican Party is, is, is extraordinarily extreme. Uh, indeed, I would suggest uh, and have in the book that that uh, Ronald Reagan, who was a far-right radical, if he were running for office today, he would be, you know, eschewed by the Republican Party. They would call him a rhino, a Republican <laughs> in it only. Right. Well, now, in, in your book you describe uh, that what we have here is an extreme and ideological stance. How would you characterize it from 54 to today? In, in 1954, the Republican Party was a... Uh, center-right conservative party. And you have to remember that all of the Republican uh, uh, presidents uh, between 1945 and uh, uh, 1980, you know, were, uh, Eisenhower, uh, Ford, Nixon, they all subscribed to Roosevelt's New Deal. Starting in 1980, the Republican Party moved away from being a, uh, a center-right party to being a far-right party, an extreme outlier. Uh, as I said, they would characterize Eisenhower, Nixon, Ford, <laughs> and, and even Reagan as, as being rhinos. Uh, it's been an extreme evolution into radicalism of the worst sort. Um, yeah. Now, in the book, I think you've described it as kind of an American fascism, and and you describe an American fascism that, in a way, seems to have come to fruition in the Trump administration. Is that fair? I, I make a distinction between the ideology, the racism of the base. In my opinion, turning point in American history, uh, political history, occurred when Nixon, Nixon initiated a sudden strategy. And that's what happened. And all these people were racist, and many of them were religious fundamentalists. And so, and this is the this is the the evolution towards fascism. I, I define fascism as being one an extremist movement, and the, the extremism is extreme nationalism, extreme nativism, and typically uh, adherence to a uh, a very extreme religious fundamentalist view. I don't think that Trump developed that. He just took advantage of it when he he ran because he happens to in that direction. And, you know, he made that first statement when he came down the stairs about the Mexicans. And he said the Mexican government, he didn't say the Mexican, enormous numbers of these brown people into our country and they're all diseased, rapists, drug users or sellers. And that electrified. So tell me, Richard, 
Do you think that Trump has used the power of his office to subvert the state's democratic institutions and to arrogate authoritarian power to himself? Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. In your book, you quote Sinclair Lewis, who said, when fascism comes to America, it will be wrapped in the flag and carrying a cross. Is, the, is that what you think we have here? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we, wait a minute, let's put it this way. That's what we have in the Republican base. Definitely. And Trump. You think he's a con? You just think he's a manipulator? He well, I, I, think he, I think he is. He's an extreme nationalist, an extreme nativist. I don't know if he has any religion at all, but he panders exceptionally uh, to evangelical religious right who just totally uh, abandoned their moral principles uh, and favored him for, in return for his is going to support us. just going to do his best to restore the white uh, Christian dominance that characterized America over the uh, preceding decades. Obviously, he doesn't and he has is, he is attacked it, you know, in the Russian investigation, and now he has finally gotten uh, 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 a, uh, uh, an attorney general who doesn't believe in the rule of law. And the rule of law is under some pretty serious attack in, in this country. Well, Richard, I, I think you've made a tremendous contribution to discussing the history of how we got here, and in detail, and with heavily footnoted. And so, I hope uh, those who hear us will go out and get the Republican Party, Apostles of Failure, Unfit to Govern, on Amazon.com. And I want to thank you, Richard, for spending time with us. Thanks, you, uh, John, for having me on. This was kind of a different show. I wanted to go over what I think you appreciate are the fundamentals how we went from 1954 to today, how we went from a nation with a shared destiny to one that is dominated by Trump and his plutocracy and seizing and taking for himself power and funds and access to all means of corruption. This is no small problem. And the few words I've spent today are just a down payment on what needs to be said. But what needs to be said is necessary to what must be done. We cannot go forward with this president. It is a mystery to me how we will get from this day, whenever you hear this and the day that I make this podcast, to the election. And from that day, should we remove him as we must and should, how we get from that day into January when a new president, Biden, is sworn into office. This is truly an American tragedy. In my lifetime and through the history I've read, there's never been a president as bad to the nation, as corrupt in himself, who's taken as much for himself and for his cronies, and so disregarded the law and the Constitution. If there was a call to arms, it is the very existence of Trump in the West Wing. In any case, if you haven't already arranged to get your mail ballots, and send them in. Only the future of the country, but also our individual destiny is so tied to this dictator. We have to act. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you'll subscribe if you haven't already. 
and I'll talk to you again next week. So take care of yourself and be safe. All the best.